you know, it's funny. She talked about uh, not feeling not feeling worthy to to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, uh, and it's. She also talked about how how God works in funny ways, and you are about to see that this morning, uh, because our scripture is from Luke chapter seven, uh, as we're continuing our Jesus the Foodie series, and uh, and she basically just stole my whole sermon, uh, so. So I'll just borrow from pieces of hers. Uh, but our scripture this morning, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Uh, and so let me read the story to you before we jump in. It says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, we've been talking uh, in this series, uh, Jesus the Foodie, all the places where Jesus shares a meal with people. Uh, and so far, the first couple of weeks, we talked about the kinds of people that Jesus served. Uh, Jesus, if you remember, had dinner with Matthew and all of his tax collector friends that they, that they even put in quotations, the sinners. He had dinner with the sinners, and those are the people he served. Well, this week, we kind of take... We take it from the other side, which is we're asking the question, who should serve Jesus? And really, when you think about who Jesus is, who can serve Jesus? Because because I'm a firm believer that when I read in Scripture about the things Jesus does, and then I see the things Jesus does in my life on a daily and weekly basis, I wonder sometimes, why us? (laughs) Right? Like, if Jesus would just go do all the stuff himself, He could do it so much better than I could. He could preach way better than I could. He could reach people way better than I could. Why not just do it himself? (laughs) Who is even worthy enough to serve a God who is perfect? (laughs) Who could possibly stand in in, in his presence? And yet what we find in our scripture this morning is sort of another turn of the tables from Jesus. 
See, it's not just that Jesus goes and have, has dinner with people like Matthew, people that everyone considered to be a sinner. Everyone knew Matthew was a cheater. He stole. He was rude. But he goes to have dinner with a Pharisee, the, the, the one that, that by the law was the most upright and best person you could ever meet. So Jesus has dinner with Matthew and, and the, what, are, what were considered the lowest of society, and then he goes and has dinner with the Pharisee, who's this well-respected person in the world. And it's at that meal that it says a woman came in. It says a woman who had lived a sinful life. Now, uh, historically in the church, we've made a lot of assumptions about what this woman's sins are. <laughs> it's always just sort of assumed, uh, and I think... I'll, I'll throw this out there. I think it's assumed because she's a woman and we say she's a sinful woman, we make an automatic assumption on what that sin might be. But it doesn't tell us what it is. <laughs> it just says she was a sinful woman in the city. <laughs> Everyone knew her. Everyone knew that she had made the wrong choices over and over and over again. <laughs> she was known as somebody who made the wrong choices. And it's this woman who comes in while they're reclined at the table. And she finds Jesus with her little jar of perfume. And says so she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. Right now, now, you have to remember, so in our heads, when we think of people sitting at a table, we think of the chair. And you're like, how can she be behind him while he's sitting, sitting there, right? And be at his feet. But you have to remember, their tables were low, and so they would sit a little bit like this. Right? They'd recline at the table. It was, it was low. And so she's behind him with his feet, which he implies in a moment when he, when he responds to Simon the Pharisee. He says, he says, you didn't even offer to wash my feet. Now, in that culture, you would wash your guest's feet because if you're going to recline at the table and your feet are going to be right there next to your face while you're eating your dinner, you don't really want dirty feet. <laughs> and so you'd offer to wash wash their feet, and often even uh, put, some, put some perfume on their head. It was, a, it was a anointing, a blessing for your guests. And Jesus implies later on that, that Simon, he says, Simon doesn't even do this, <laughs> doesn't even offer it to Jesus. But this woman, who everybody knows, has made all the wrong choices, it says, first, she stands behind him weeping. She comes in, and she's just she is crying and crying. Uh, the word here for, for weeping is, is like, is, imagine like a torrential downpour of a storm in crying form. <laughs> she is losing it. <laughs> and as I read through, I thought to myself, why? Right? What is it about Jesus' presence that draws out in this woman this immediate need to weep? And I think that there are, there are two possible reasons that she would weep. The first is that there is something about Jesus' presence that just makes people uh, recognize their own need for grace. <laughs> and I think that the, the, a natural response when we realize just how far away we are without grace is to weep. <laughs> and I think that's a possibility. I think the more likely thing is that this woman experienced Jesus somewhere already. Jesus has done something in this woman's life 
that completely transformed her in a way that makes her want to come into the house of a Pharisee who she knows would never invite her in. Because, because the, the Pharisee even says, if Jesus knew who that woman was, that was touching him, if he only knew, right, she's not being invited in. I think Jesus had done something in her life that was so powerful, so life-changing that she had to respond somehow. She had to, to offer herself in some way. And so what she had was an alabaster jar of perfume. And so she brings it in and she's weeping. She's weeping. And with her own tears, she begins to wet his feet and wash his feet with her tears and with her hair. Now, uh, one thing, too, that you have to know is that culturally, a woman's hair, and the reason that women still cover their hair in most places in the world, is because culturally there, uh, women's hair was considered like a, a seductive, intimate part of who they were. Right? So you have to imagine the Pharisee, he knows who this woman is. He knows her history, and then now she's wiping a man's feet with her hair, which is supposed to be covered. And you can imagine why the Pharisee gets a little bit worked up. <laughs> what is this woman doing? And even more importantly to the Pharisee, what is Jesus doing? He's allowing this woman, who's made all the wrong decisions, to wash his feet. What is wrong with him? What I love most in this passage is that in verse 39, it says that when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, right? So in other words, uh, the Pharisee is thinking these things in his head. And Jesus, it says in verse 40, answered him. So imagine being Simon, right? He's thinking in his own mind. He's like, what is this guy doing? And Jesus is answering the thought that is in his head. And he's and his answer, like many times, Jesus answers with a little story. And he says there's two people who owe a debt. One who owes 500, one who owes five, or is it five or 50? It's 50. 550. And he says, you forgive them both. Who has more to be thankful for? And the Pharisee goes, well, I mean, obviously the person who owed more money. <laughs> he says, you're correct. And then he turns it on Simon and he says, the same is true with this woman. Because she's made all the wrong choices, because she's, she's, she's run away as fast as she can, because she's done things that label her a sinner in the eyes of her own city, because of all of this, she has way more to be thankful for. She has way more to be thankful for. So let her be thankful. Jesus here is apparently unconcerned at all with what those things were that she had done. He doesn't ask. He doesn't feel fit to have her share her whole, her whole life story for the Pharisees so to, to prove his point. He says, I don't need to know where she messed up. All I know is she knows she did, and she knows where to go when she does. She knows to bring her tears and her little jar of perfume. She knows to take it to Jesus. 
Because what else does she have to offer? Right? If, 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 if you were a, a, deemed a sinner in this era, you were, you were sort of outcasted. People are, people are not trying, they're not lining up to take care of you. What else does she have to offer but what she has, which is herself? Because of that, because she offers herself, he says, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. In this story, we have to figure out which character we are. Who are we in this story? I think it all depends on how we see our debt. <laughs> because in Jesus' example of the five, debt of 500 and the debt of 50, right? when we see ourselves as only having a debt of 50, and somebody forgives it, all right? And let's and let's just let's kind of modernize this example, right? So, so let's say you owe, uh, you have, you have somebody who owes you ten grand, and you have somebody who owes you ten dollars, right? When and and when you go, oh, don't worry about the ten bucks, man. It's not really a big deal for most people to go. That's ten bucks, no big deal, right? You don't feel any sort of like any sort of obligation or immense gratitude. For somebody who goes, eh, it's 10 bucks, I'll just buy you 10 bucks. Right? You go, oh, okay, thanks. And then it goes on, right? But if, but if the other person goes, hey, you know that 10 grand you owe me? Don't worry about it. Most of us are going, what? Are you serious? You really don't want me to pay that back? Right? And then usually what follows is we always try to find some way to like repay them. Obviously, we, we don't have the 10 grand, that's why we borrowed it. Uh, but we try to find some way to show our gratitude to that person. We, we go above and beyond to try to help them in whatever way we can. Why? Because we're so grateful. I think what we glean from this story, and the reason that, that, that this woman was so powerful, is because she was grateful. <laughs> she was grateful, and because she was so grateful, her response was to serve Jesus, and that's all he asked. When you've been forgiven the, the debt of 10 grand or, or 500 denarii, when you've been forgiven this giant debt and you know how far, how far deep in the hole you were before Jesus came along, serving him is just a natural next step because you're so grateful. But the, it always brings about this sense of, of unworthiness in ourselves. Because, because we read these stories of how great Jesus is, and we think, what could I possibly offer him? What could I possibly offer? Surely somebody else can do it better than I can. Somebody else can, can, can serve Jesus way better. They're way more gifted. They're way more talented. They have way more money. They have their lives figured out already, and I don't. Surely someone else But not this woman. <laughs> this woman says, no one else knows what I've been through. No one else knows the extent of my story. 
No one else knows what it is that God's been doing in my life every single day. And, and quite frankly, for most of us, we don't have time to tell everyone what God is doing in our lives every day. Only we know. And so, so she sort of just throws caution to the wind in our story and says, I don't, I don't care what people think. I'm grateful and I'm going to do something about it. And it was that attitude alone, that attitude alone, that faith, Jesus calls it. It's that faith, he says, that has saved her. And it's that same faith that I, that I want to instill in you this week. Because there's no, there's no like bar that you have to jump through, or there's no test you have to take, or hoops that you need to jump through in order to be able to serve Jesus, right? He's not, he's not looking for people who have their lives figured out. If he did, he would have had the Pharisee serve him. Because if anybody had life figured out in that era, it was the Pharisee. Well, it turns out in this story, what we learn is that having life figured out really just means we figured out that we haven't figured it out. That's it. And when we can get there, when we can just acknowledge that we don't have it figured out, so I'm going to walk with Jesus and he's going to help me figure it out, that's all he's looking for. That's it. We like to make it way more complicated than that, and, and we have all sorts of ways that we do. We, we make it more complicated, but at the end of the day, he's just looking for people who are hungry and available, people who love him and are thankful and are willing to just do something about it. It's why, I love, it's why I love the church. I love the church, well, first of all, because Jesus loved the church. And if Jesus loves something, I should probably love it. But I love the church because the church is made up of people from all different places and all different backgrounds. The things that we have all done, the ways that we were raised, they are all different. Which means that, that who we are sitting here this morning, every single one of you has a different story. You all have different gifts. You all have different, uh, different levels of, of faith. You have so many variables. <laughs> and, and to me, the, the best part of this story, when we talk about serving Jesus, is he doesn't even care what all of my variables are. He just wants me to show up. <laughs> he just wants me to show up. <laughs> and so I encourage you this week, when we talk about serving, there's a lot of things that go on in the world. There's a lot of different ways to serve, and you're never going to be able to fit every single one of them, I promise you. <laughs> right? It's why, it's why churches uh, don't just have pastors on staff, usually. We have other people who lead stuff, right? Because I'm gifted differently, they're gifted differently. It all works because we all live into our gifts. We all live for Jesus. So this week, I'm not telling you to go and do everything, you, everything in the whole planet to go change the world. I'm saying go find somewhere, go find something, something that shows how grateful you are. Something that, that demonstrates your faith like this woman. And so what I want to offer to you is this. As I, as I wrap up and we do one final song, I want to offer you this. Uh, if you've been feeling lately a little bit like this woman, right? Like she, she was unworthy by the world standards. She's like, I don't, you know, 
how in the world can I serve, right? If you, if you have that feeling of unworthiness, that feeling of, I want to do something for Jesus, but surely someone else can do it. <laughs> Does it have to be me? <laughs> or maybe you're raring to go. You're like, I'm ready to serve. I, I know I don't have it figured out, and that's okay. I'm going to serve anyway. Where in the world do I do that? Either way, I would love to pray with you this morning. I would love, love to pray with you this morning to, to invite Jesus to come, to speak into your life, to call you in these moments. If you're feeling unworthy or unguided, I'd love to pray with you this morning during this final song. Let me pray. God, we're, we're thankful that, that when we feel unworthy, you are always worthy. That even though there are moments we feel like we don't have much to offer, or sometimes we feel like we have so much to offer and we have no idea where to put it, Lord, you're still looking for us. So God, this week we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do some examining, we're gonna do some some identifying this week of where and how and when we can serve you. And we're gonna lay aside all the doubts and all the fears that that, that the enemy uses to draw us away from it, to keep us out of the game. God, we're asking that you would help us to overcome all of them so that we can be in the game this week, so that we can be in the fight for the kingdom. Lord, we offer ourselves all that we have and all that we don't have. We offer it all to you, seeking your help. Just as this woman comes and she serves, she worships, God, we come to serve and to worship. Take us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.